Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of Inside China Tech. I am Zen Su, a technology reporter with the South China Morning Post. And today we are going to talk about something quite exciting. As we know, in the technology space right now, there is a lot of discussion around Huawei, around 5G. However, there is also a big part that we have not yet looked at on this podcast, and that's artificial intelligence strategy for both U.S. and China. So as we know, earlier this week, U.S. President Donald Trump signed an executive order calling for more investment in the U.S. AI industry. And I've just had a great conversation with a special guest from Washington, D.C. We have Gregory Allen from the Center for a New American Security. Gregory is a fellow for CNAS's Technology and National Security Program, and he recently authored a very long and detailed research report titled Understanding China's AI Strategy. It's a great conversation. You know, we talked about the rivalry between U.S. and China in the AI space and how China's investment in AI is right now vastly outpacing anything that's going on in the U.S. and what this means for both countries moving forward. Let's get into it. So, Gregory, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so, you know, as we know... Um, President Trump this week signed that executive order wanting more investment into the U.S. AI industry. And really, what's that all about? Sure. Well, I think this report is a formal statement by the Trump administration and White House uh, that artificial intelligence technology is now a priority area uh, of investment and concern for this administration. Um, but if you dig into the substance of the executive order itself, uh, it's important to note that most of what this does is get the ball rolling. Um, the president by himself does not have the authority to uh, increase spending to a significant degree on AI technology. So uh, what this executive order does uh, is it gets the ball rolling um, on increased funding. Uh, the president does not have the authority by himself to increase funding, uh, that requires a new appropriations legislation to take place in Congress. Um, what this executive order does do, however, uh, is it directs the head of most federal agencies engaged in research and development. These are agencies like the National Institutes of Health, the National Science Foundation, the Department of Energy, the Department of Defense. Um, 
based all the R&D intensive federal agencies are directed to make AI uh, a spending priority in their fiscal year 2020 budget requests. Um, and so that budget request will then be submitted uh, by the White House to Congress. Uh, and essentially, it represents uh, President Trump saying, this is the amount of money that I think we should spend uh, next year across all of these uh, government agencies. Um, but then Congress will go through its own process and come up with a final piece of uh, legislation that will be passed by both the House and Senate. And then that will be submitted um, after it is passed as a bill back to President Trump to be signed into law. So this executive order, while it could represent um, the beginning of a, of a major increase in AI spending, um, by itself, it definitely does not uh, represent that. But as I understand it, you know, the U.S. has been researching and investing in AI. We have like academics and researchers and tech companies who are doing that. So, you know, why is the executive order coming at this point of time? Sure. I would say that the vast majority of spending on artificial intelligence technology in the United States takes place in the private sector. Um, the, the government spends comparatively little. Uh, so, for instance, in China, um, we do not know the actual amount that all of China's government combined spends on artificial intelligence. Um, but the governments of just two provinces uh, have stated that they plan to spend uh, $15 billion in U.S. dollars uh, $15 billion each over the next 10 years. And that's just two provincial governments. Um, there is nothing of that size uh, in the U.S. federal government or even in the U.S. Uh, state and local governments. Um, the, the, the largest program of which I'm aware uh, is in DARPA, and that is only um, $2 billion over five years. So that is the largest program I'm aware of uh, funding AI by the U.S. government. Um, and it's less than the, you know, the province of Shanghai alone is spending on AI. So most AI spending in the United States takes place at private companies uh, like Google or Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, um, these types of companies. The, the government is comparatively a smaller player. So in the new executive order, is there a investment amount that President Trump is saying that the U.S. should invest in AI? Nope. The executive order does not specify a number. Uh, what it does do is it directs the head of federal agencies to start measuring the amount of money that they're spending on AI currently and to significantly increase uh, their requested budget for the next round of uh, fiscal year planning. So it essentially says start measuring how much you're spending on AI and request significantly more uh, in the next year budget process. That's why I say, you know, this executive order, when it comes to spending, uh, mostly just gets the ball rolling. It by itself is not a significant increase. Yeah, so it seems like the U.S. really right now is just catching on to the fact that, you know, AI investment from a government perspective is important, whereas... Uh, you know, like you said earlier, the uh, Chinese government has been prior seems to have been prioritizing this for a while now. Is that is that is that right? Well, I would say it, it's certainly the case that the United States government has been paying attention uh, to artificial intelligence technology for a long time. I think where where your statement is correct is with respect to major investments. Um, I think the uh, the federal government thought that most of the investment would take place in the private sector. And that was, you know, sufficient. Um, but I think in the face of Chinese investments, uh, the U.S. is recalibrating, you know, what an appropriate amount of investment is. And I think that's happening in governments all over the world. Uh, many European governments, 
uh, Japan's government, South Korea's government, are all refocusing um, their research and development government spending uh, to, to increase their AI portfolio. So we've heard a little bit about the U.S. sort of approach towards AI right now. What is China's approach when it comes to artificial intelligence? I think China has viewed AI technology as a significant priority um, for a good while now. Uh, the, the national strategy document, um, which in English we translate as the New Generation Artificial Intelligence Development Plan, that was released in July 2017. And almost immediately after that document came out, um, we saw some pretty significant uh, government investment in AI technology um, that was complementing what was already some very significant investments taking place in the uh, private sector and in the venture capital community. So I think the first thing to note uh, about China's AI strategy is the level of focus uh, strategically by government stakeholders and the amount of funding that is being injected into the sector by both the government and the private sector. Um, just the scale uh, in, in both aspects is really remarkable um, anywhere on the planet. Um, secondarily, I think uh, you know, China's uh, strategy for artificial intelligence um, is underwritten by a policy that uh, in English, you know, you can translate either two ways. One way is military civil fusion, which is a more literal translation. Um, but an alternative translation is civil military integration, uh, which is this is uh, explicitly stated in the um, Chinese government AI strategy. But it essentially says that the, the commercial sector um, is expected to produce most of the innovations um, but these will be leveraged uh, for military applications and where military innovations have commercial potential, you know, they will also be redirected into the commercial sector. So there is a recognition of the national security significance of AI technology um, and an expectation that commercial innovation um, will play into uh, the Chinese military strategy. Um, and when you uh, look at the statements of both Chinese military officials and Chinese uh, defense companies, um, both are placing a very significant priority uh, on AI in their future strategy. I would say the final element um, with regards to China's AI strategy uh, relates to international standards. Uh, if you're familiar with the international standards debate in the uh, cellular ecosystem, um, this is a very hot topic right now. Uh, essentially, technological standards are coordinating mechanisms um, that allow uh, you know, many types of different, uh, in, in the case of, for instance, the Wi-Fi uh, technical standard, um, that standard is what allows a diversity of you know, literally hundreds of devices to all communicate with one another uh, over Wi-Fi, you know, networking technology. It's because they're using the same standard uh, of Wi-Fi. Well, uh, some companies are responsible for generating intellectual property around uh, those standards. So in the case of some uh, cellular networking technologies, for instance, the technology standard was developed by a company, say, for instance, Qualcomm, and they possess patented intellectual property uh, around that technical standard. Um, so in 4G LTE cellular technology, Chinese companies were not very heavily represented uh, in the technical standards. But when it comes to 5G, uh, the sort of next generation cellular network, um, Huawei and ZTE very notably um, have a large portfolio of standard essential patents. They've been a much uh, larger player 
in the international setting of technical standards related to 5G. AI technical standards are comparatively uh, less mature, um, but China's government has you know, sort of stated explicitly uh, that they seek for Chinese companies to play a much larger role uh, in the setting of technological standards related to artificial intelligence technology as those emerge over the next few years. Um, and then finally, I would connect uh, China's AI strategy to their semiconductor strategy. Um, China's government has been investing really jaw-dropping sums of money uh, to promote the domestic semiconductor industry. Uh, the semiconductor industry includes you know, several uh, different segments in the value chain, from designing of the semiconductors, uh, manufacturing the semiconductors, and then packaging, assembly, and testing the semiconductors. Um, China has had a very significant uh, presence in packaging and assembly uh, for many years now, uh, but this tends to be the sort of lower skill aspect of the semiconductor value chain. What's quite remarkable uh, in the past five years has been the progress of Chinese firms uh, in semiconductor design. And uh, this, uh, and, and comparatively, Chinese firms lag uh, when it comes to semiconductor manufacturing technology. Well, artificial intelligence um, has created newfound demand uh, for custom-designed semiconductor chips uh, to run AI software. Um, and this is an area where both China, China's government uh, and Chinese companies have identified a priority uh, where they believe that um, pushing strongly into this new market area related to AI chips um, can both accelerate uh, the progress of Chinese commercial companies and also um, accentuate and strengthen uh, China's uh, semiconductor strategy from a government perspective. Yeah, so you've mentioned earlier that China has been playing a big part in uh, sort of leading or, or taking part in setting 5G standards. So as we know now, there is a lot of debate surrounding Huawei, surrounding sort of US, China, uh, US and China's 5G uh, sort of ambitions. And, you know, now we're sort of seeing like a struggle between the US and China, between, you know, the US trying to block Huawei from supplying telecoms equipment or, you know, and basically we would like to know, do you think that we could see the same kind of debate when it comes to AI that we're seeing right now with 5G? Um, I think it's a little bit early to speculate, but that's certainly plausible. Um, that could happen. But um, it, it really would depend upon, you know, the, what, what, what happens next in the 5G dispute. Um, I think that will probably set the tone for AI. Yeah, but uh, for AI, it, earlier you mentioned that for China's strategy, a lot of it is military. Certainly. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's very explicitly said in uh, Chinese government documents. Mm, so it seems like for China, artificial intelligence is going to be used in a lot of military applications. Would you say that AI could potentially be a more sensitive industry than, say, something like 5G? That's certainly possible. Um, 5G, uh, you know, is, is a more explicitly commercial technology, um, and artificial intelligence is closer to uh, what we would call, um, in the security studies community, a dual-use technology, which means it has very important implications for both civilian and military applications. Um, this is true of other technologies, even in information technology, and there are ongoing um, you know, regulations in the United States that affect this. So, for instance, um, it is legal for the United, for United States companies to sell uh, computer chips to Chinese companies, 
Um, but there are certain supercomputing facilities within the Chinese military, uh, and it is illegal for U.S. companies to sell computer chips to those military supercomputing centers. And, and that's a policy that um, actually occurred during the Obama administration, not during the Trump administration. So um, I think any any restrictions on uh, you know military uses of AI technology you know are likely to be just a continuation of U.S. policy. Um, I think the the question is, will um, the dispute go even further than that? And and that's really pretty tough to predict. So in terms of Chinese investment into AI right now, I think uh, at least. What we see a lot is that you know the the, the uh, Chinese tech technology giants, whether whether it's Baidu or you know Alibaba or Tencent, they've all sort of put their own initiatives into developing AI. Um, so right now, who exactly is winning the artificial intelligence race? Is there sort of like a front runner? Is it like the U.S. or China? Sure, I think the the first thing to note. Um is that the the race terminology you know is a, is a relatively recent phenomenon and it is one that we do see in Chinese publications um, and, for instance the uh, recent Tsinghua University uh, China AI development report um, says that the global artificial intelligence landscape is uh, and I'm quoting directly here a race of two giants uh, the United States and China um, so I think that that is you know a a reasonable characterization in certain aspects. If you look at who is advancing the state of the art in uh, research and development, I think that is the United States, uh, Europe, and uh, China are all quite influential um, in terms of publishing papers that are advancing the state of the art in AI. Where America and China tend to pull away from Europe um, and also Japan is in the commercialization of AI technology. Um, the venture capital ecosystems of both the United States and China are quite strong, and uh, both Chinese and American companies have very successfully been able to commercialize AI technology um, to build attractive products around this technology and also to build viable businesses around this technology. That's sort of a distinguishing characteristic between uh, for, from the U.S. and China versus, for instance, Europe. Um, but there are some notable weaknesses uh, in China's ecosystem, and this is something that you know I came to understand better um, both by reading a lot of Chinese government and industry documents and also uh, meeting with Chinese officials uh, and speaking with executives in China's technology industry. And the most commonly cited weaknesses of China's AI ecosystem uh, that I heard uh, were related to um, First, the, the semiconductor ecosystem, uh, which I mentioned uh, a little bit previously, um, China is strong in semiconductor design, but they lag in semiconductor manufacturing, um, and that has important implications for AI. Uh, another area where um, Chinese companies tend to be weaker uh, than their American counterparts is in the area of top talent. So uh, both America and China are number one and uh, number two in terms of the number of individuals they have with AI expertise, uh, either adva advancing research or building products. Um, but by uh, according to the Tsinghua University report, um, the gap is, is very large uh, when it comes to top talent. So who are the most innovative, uh, the most productive researchers or developers um, in AI technology? Uh, according to Tsinghua, they said that um, America has more than five times as many of these individuals as uh, as all of China, um, which is, you know, a, a remarkable gap. 
Uh, and then the, um, the last area is, of course, uh, technical standards, uh, which we talked about a bit before. Um, you know, China has historically been weak uh, in, in setting technical standards. And uh, when it comes to AI in development frameworks, in open source code libraries, in the sorts of things that are, are often precursors to setting technical standards, um, Chinese companies are quite a bit less active. Earlier, you mentioned that you know the 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 term like a technology race that's that's a relatively new term and that that's been coming up in chinese reports am i right um and right and uh so how is the us sort of seeing this as the us is is the us kind of looking over their shoulder a little bit with china catching up or is the U.S. kind of yes? You know, I, I would say um, it, it it has been comparatively slow uh, in the U.S. awareness of what of the amazing changes that have taken place um, in China's technology ecosystem. I think it was in uh, 2010 uh, when Google was kicked out of China um, for refusing to abide by Chinese censorship laws, um, and the the sort of um, collective wisdom of the United States at that time. Uh, was that Chinese technology companies uh, cannot innovate. Um, they can only copy. Uh, and, and there was there was some good reason uh, for that. Um, many Chinese technology websites were explicitly clones uh, down to the color scheme of, uh, of Western equivalents. Uh, there was, you know, uh, many Chinese clones of Twitter. There were many Chinese clones of Groupon, et cetera. Um, and so I think that conventional wisdom uh, stuck around for far too long. Um, because in, in really in the past five years, some really remarkable uh, Chinese companies um, have really come into their own and started producing legitimate innovation. I mean, to the point where, um, you know, Facebook uh, originally accused WeChat of copying off Facebook. Um, but in the past two years, both uh, Facebook and Snapchat have admitted uh, that many of the features that they are seeking to introduce are inspired and originally pioneered by you know, ten cents WeChat. Um, so it, it is. It is fair to say that uh, you know the the American public, uh, the American technology industry, and the American government um, was slow to realize uh, how strong China's technology ecosystem was becoming. Um, and AI, that was that was obviously the case. Um, it, but I would say now, you know, in the past year and a half or so, uh, more and more individuals in the U.S. government now realize. Um, that China really is a peer competitor uh, when it comes to state-of-the-art AI. And so they're trying to formulate, you know, a strategic response, you know, based on a more accurate understanding of what China is capable of. Yeah. And, you know, as I understand right now, the sort of political climate in the U.S. is not very friendly towards, you know, immigrants. And, you know, with that kind of sort of maybe anti-immigrant rhetoric, like, is it possible that Chinese international students, th those who are studying in the U.S., studying AI, that, you know, that there might simply be a brain drain from the U.S. where they return to China and then, you know, just become part of Chinese AI talent? And will that put any pressure um, on the U.S. in the long run? Yes, this is this is um, not something that I have studied closely, but I will share, you know, what, what I believe I know to be the case. Um, it is certainly true that applications by Chinese students to American universities um, are down significantly. 
Uh, and that is both because of the perception of a less welcoming climate in the United States that you mentioned, um, and also the strengthening of Chinese universities. Um, there are just better options for Chinese students domestically than there used to be. Um, I think, you know, in, in general, American universities uh, tend to uh, rank more highly in the international rankings, even the ones that are maintained by China. Um, but, but it is also true that, you know, Chinese universities have increased in quality significantly over the past 10 years. Um, so I think both factors are playing a role uh, in, in, the, in the reduced immigration. Earlier, we also talked about how the U.S. claims to have five times as much AI talent than China. And, uh, and right now, it seems the Chinese strategy is to spend a lot of money and try and, uh, you know, like fund that research and, and, and get and fund their way to 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 the and, top and, basically. Right. And also to, you know, fund the creation of a much larger talent pool. I think there are some really um, remarkable steps uh, being taken by the Chinese Ministry of in- Education uh, to try and dramatically broaden the talent base um, of China's AI ecosystem. And I think that is also um you know, stands aside all the efforts that Chinese companies are, are taking to try and make sure uh, that their workforce um, has AI re- relevant skills. So what are the what are these kind of uh, initiatives that, that, that China is taking to broaden its talent pool? Yeah, I think uh, the Ministry of Education has four initiatives uh, that are going on right now that I think are quite interesting. Um, they're funding the creation of uh, 50 new Uh, programs for teaching materials at the undergraduate and graduate level for AI applications related to specific industries. Um, They are creating 50, uh, you know, high quality online open courses related to AI, and they are establishing 50 new artificial intelligence, you know, research institutions. Um, That's, you know, kind of a remarkable, uh, you know, amount of activity uh, for a ministry of education. And then there's also another program um, that's a more explicit uh, talent training program uh, to train 500 more AI instructors and 5,000 more top students at top Chinese universities. So the government is, you know, playing a very active role in trying to shape uh, China's AI talent pool. So how, what can the U.S. do at this point of time to sort of, I mean, it sounds it sounds intimidating if 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 China is from at a government level putting these billions of dollars in funding and creating all of these sort of talent programs for the U.S. Is there what could they possibly do to uh, sort of make sure that they stay in the number one spot? Um, the, it, it, China has really um, forced the United States to, to, to reconsider what it takes in terms of the scale of funding and programmatic activity uh, to be competitive in artificial intelligence. And Chinese leaders you know, state quite specifically and clearly that they believe that AI technology will be critical to the future of global power, both economic and military power. Um, and so I think, you know, this, this new initiative by the Trump administration is, you know, really just getting the ball rolling um, and trying to think through what the United States' uh, new focus and prioritization of AI is going to mean. Um, so the heads of all the federal agencies are responsible in addition to making AI a priority in their next budgeting process, um, they're also responsible for within 90 days submitting an action plan um, for how they are going to uh, come up with a strategy related to increased adoption of AI and increased promotion of AI, you know, across the entirety of their agency. Um, so we are, you know, of course, in the United States, waiting uh, eagerly to see what will come out of that process. Um, 
but as you said, you know, China's scale of activity is quite considerable. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's something that I'm sure U.S. policymakers have on their mind. Okay. And another thing that we all know is that the U.S. and China are still caught in this trade war. And how will this trade war impact both of their AI strategies? Well, well China's, um, China's semiconductor strategy is very strongly informed by their experience uh, with the ZTE uh, export restrictions. Um, so I'm sure you know most of the listeners out there know, but I'll just restate for the basics. Um, ZTE was prohibited uh, because of the, the U.S. Uh, finding that they had violated trade sanctions um, by selling U.S. goods uh, in ZTE products uh, to embargoed countries such as Iran. Um, because of that, the United States prohibited the export of semiconductor chips, including criti critical ones, uh, standard essential products, uh, to ZTE, which almost put the company into bankruptcy uh, in a relatively short time frame. And that experience really dramatically impacted the thinking of uh, Chinese technology executives uh, and also the, the, the Chinese government. Um, so the trade dispute really refocused the attention of, uh, of the Chinese government on making sure that they had access to domestic alternatives um, to key uh, what, are, what are called foundational technologies or core technologies, um, such as semiconductors. And I think that logic of the need for a, a Chinese domestic alternative um, probably uh, you know, extends to artificial intelligence. I think um, in terms of software development frameworks, there is appetite in the, in the Chinese government for um, a, a Chinese exclusive developer framework alternative to, say, for instance, Google TensorFlow. Um, that, that's something that I've observed uh, in, in China's government. Um, with respect to the United States, uh, I think you know, their, their experience is very much you know, trying to shape um, behavior that they view as illegitimate. So, for instance, the United States, uh, during the Obama administration in 2015, uh, negotiated an agreement uh, with the Chinese government um, related to the cessation of state-sponsored, as in Chinese government-sponsored, uh, cyber espionage and cyber theft of United States commercial intellectual property. And the official finding of the United States government um, is that China has violated the terms of that agreement. And that has really had a very um, strong impact in shaping um, the beliefs of the United States towards, uh, you know, the trade policy towards China. I think in, in, in China, it is, it is pretty common to believe that, that the trade dispute really is about President Trump. Um, in reality, I would say that um, no matter who had been elected president in 2016, um, it is very likely that we would have seen a trade dispute uh, between the United States and China that was very large, perhaps not as large as, as the one we have currently, um, but I think a very large dispute was essentially guaranteed. Uh, and, and the reason for that, as I stated, um, is the U.S. findings that uh, China uh, violated the terms of the initial agreement and has also been you know, sort of systematically using government intelligence agencies uh, to steal the you know, intellectual property and technology of American companies uh, in addition to you know, violating sanction re sanctions regimes. Great. Thanks, Gregory, for calling in today. We've heard some really great insight and analysis about U.S. and China's AI strategy. Gregory, where can we find you on Twitter? Yes, I'm available um, at 
Gregory underscore C underscore Allen. Great. Thanks so much, Gregory, for calling in. All right. Bye-bye. All right. See ya. So that's all of the time that we have for today. And just to clarify for Gregory's Twitter handle, it is Gregory underscore C and Ellen. So it's double L and an E. And if you'd like to follow me, my Twitter handle is at Zensu. That's at Z-E-N-S-O-O. Also, if you'd like to read more tech coverage on the US-China tech race, visit scmp.com slash tech, where we're publishing stories almost daily. Finally, this Inside China Tech podcast is on Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher. So if you enjoy listening to us, please rate us accordingly. And I will see you next week. Bye! Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.